Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. that I can understand kind of what he's going through or what he's been through and, and how he got his heart the way that it is. You know, on Wednesday, I talked about some things that he showed me uh, even at the dentist office. And this morning, the same thing. I feel like um, uh, he was headed to the cross for Easter and some other people were headed in another direction. And I want to be headed to the cross uh, this week. I want to be headed there in prayer. I want to be headed there with my heart. I want to be headed there in my word. And I just want to encourage you guys uh, to do the same. You know, you're here this morning and, and I'm happy to see your faces, happy to see that you came to worship the King. But uh, where will you be on Friday? Where will you be on Saturday? Where will you be on Sunday? And where will you be when he's risen uh, next week after that? This week, we continue our Rest in Peace series. This is week number four of Rest in Peace. In week number one, we looked at dying poor and how that means passing over opportunities repeatedly. Uh, in week number two, we looked at a death certificate where you have to sign your own death certificate and be able to say, I'm done with this life. I'm moving on to the next one. Last week, Pastor Robert was here, and I listened to the message a couple times, and I just can't believe the ministry. He said, he got me. God's got me. He's got me covered. And then he gave specific words to people in the church like only God can do. And uh, uh, for the, the service that we had to miss, I, I wish we would have been here. It just doesn't work out that way, right? If you're taking a Sunday off, you can't really be here. But thank God for, uh, for the app. Thank God for an opportunity to hear the word and then receive it. Um, <clears throat> so this morning, as we continue uh, our series on uh, resting in peace, the title of this morning is Funeral Arrangements. Funeral Arrangements. So why don't we pray? Lord, we thank you for bringing us into your house. We thank you for this series. We ask that you would minister to your people, Father God, that as we hear your word come forth, Lord, that we would not only mix it with faith, but uh, be attentive, Lord, as we, as we heard even yesterday, Lord, to actively listen on how this would apply to our own lives, Lord God, what we're going through, what our circumstances are, particularly and individually this morning, Lord, that you could just have the full impact that you want to have in every single life here in this place this morning, Lord God. We believe that just like when you were walking this earth, Jesus, that you were preparing people for what was about to happen just a few days ahead of them, Lord. We believe you're doing the same thing right here, right now in this very place, Lord. Let us be those that would have eyes to see and ears to hear. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So funeral arrangements, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. It says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. 
in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knee. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. In this story, Joseph is making his funeral arrangements. If you know the story of Joseph, he had been thrown into a pit by his brothers and left to die, but he didn't die. He was literally born again. He was taken into Egypt. He signed his own death certificate when he was there, and he began to live a completely new life, away from everything and everybody that he had ever known. He died in a pit, raised the newness of life, born again, signs a death certificate, says that life is over. I'm going to live in Egypt now as a new person. I got no friends. I got no family. I have no history. Eventually, that led to his whole family being saved. And he was granted a long life. This story says he got to see great-great-grandchildren. And then at the end of his life, 110 years old, it says, as he makes his funeral arrangements, he tells his, his, uh, his children and his, and his grandchildren, here's what I want to be done. Verse 25 said, Joseph says this to them, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. As a Christian, funeral arrangements is not about preparing a place to lay our body. Where, where, where am I going to rot <laughs> until I turn to ash? Or why don't we just hurry up and get it done and, and just put me into the fire and, and I'll be cremated? Those aren't the kind of funeral arrangements we're talking about. We're talking about preparing to enter into eternal life. And that's what Joseph was doing. Listen to this. Hebrews eleven twelve says, Therefore from one man... And him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable, innumerable as the sand which is on the seashore. And these all died in faith, not having received the promises. But having seen them afar off, they were assured of them, and they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. For those who say such things or declare plainly that they seek a homeland, and truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return, but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call, or excuse me, to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So this Joseph that we're talking about this morning, he was one of those that would become as innumerable as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. At that time when Joseph was alive, there was only 75 of them. Eventually, they'd be innumerable as the, the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. But when he's declaring these things, there's 75 of them. He died. Many others died, it says, without receiving the promises of the promised land. But he was so convinced that God was going to make good on his promise, he said to his kids, there's 75 of them, and he says, listen, God is going to make good on what he said, and when he does, 
I want you guys to enter into that promised land. I know that you guys are going to live there. You're going to be blessed because God is good. But he's saying something else also. He's saying, take my bones with you. This is, these are my funeral arrangements. <laughs> Don't leave me here in Egypt. Right now, there's 75 of you. Later on, there's going to be much more, and you're going to leave. You're going to go to the promised land. Don't leave my bones here. Why? Joseph had already been raised from the dead once, and he knew that he was going to be raised from the dead again. And he was looking to the future. <clears throat> Hebrews 11:17 says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said in Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. God tells Abraham, listen, I'm going to give you a son. And he gives him a son. He says, in this son, that's where the multiplication is going to come. There's going to be destiny, future, millions of people. And then he says, but I want you to go ahead and kill that son. And what does Abraham say? He says, all right, let's take a trip up to the mountain. He says, why? Because he's realized something. God's going to do one of two things. Either he's going to send a second miraculous son in his old age because God is capable, or he says he can raise him from the dead. Can you see the amount of faith that these people have? When we get to a place where we don't fear what we don't know because we, what we do know has created such great faith in us, we become dangerous people on this planet. That's right. Abraham has no idea how he's going to have descendants as numerable as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky if something happens to Isaac. But what he does know is that God is able. And that's why Abraham is dangerous. That's why Joseph is dangerous. Joseph says, listen, God said he was going to do something. I know he's going to do it. I don't understand why he didn't do it in my lifetime. But whenever he does do it, I have enough faith to believe that my bones should be in that place. So let me make some funeral arrangements. The idea of resurrection is nothing new to a true believer. It's what our whole faith is built upon. The problem is that Christians have begun to require less faith and depend more on logic. Yep. They, these people sound crazy to us, but they should sound normal to us. Yes. Abraham should be able to say, listen, whatever happens to my son, it's going to be okay because God is so good. That's called faith. How do we act with our kids? Joseph says, it doesn't matter that I got thrown into a pit. I, I could go back home now that I've been saved, but I don't want to go back home. I want to go into the future. And even if I die here without getting all the things that I wanted in this life, I know there's a life ahead. And I'm going to look to the future. I want to be a Christian like that. I want you to be Christians like that. Instead of Christians who are more concerned with this life, we should be focused on what's ahead of us. Do we sound more like these folks or do we sound more like people who aren't even saved? I believe that in many cases we've rejected the Holy Spirit and we've built our belief on conscience and intuition. The Holy Spirit says, do radical things. Have crazy faith. Believe that I'll part the sea for you. Believe that I'll raise you from the dead. Believe that I'll restore a dead life and a dead marriage. But your conscience says, no, nah, that doesn't make sense. My intuition says, I got to make it happen for myself, and I got to do certain things. 
In Acts chapter 7, verse 51, the Bible says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty strong declaration at the people he's speaking to, right? You're stiff-necked and you're uncircumcised in heart. What he's saying is, I don't care if you got circumcised by a doctor. I don't care if you got a certificate that said, today I gave my life to the Lord. He says, your heart is not circumcised and neither are your ears. Why? Because you constantly, constantly, constantly reject the Holy Spirit who's trying to speak to you. I wonder what that's like for the rest of you. I'll just go ahead and testify like this morning. Me and the Holy Spirit were just wrestling during worship. He was winning. <laughs> but I'm thinking about a scripture like this where it says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And I, can, I experienced that in my own life. In many ways, though, I feel like our church is drawing ever closer to the truth and sharing more and more of the unadulterated word of God. You know, there's a whole lot of parts in here that people don't really want to hear and that would be very easy to overlook or to just avoid. It's, it's easy, to be honest with you, it's easy to avoid all the, the rough stuff. <laughs> There's so much in here that we could talk about all the good stuff for decades. The Bible says that in the end, people will look for teachers who will tickle their ears. Oh, God's got a blessing for you. Who cares what you do? You don't have to be faithful. He's faithful. Do what you want. Go where you want to go. Say what you want to say. Live how you want to live. Because he's so good and his blood is so good. That's cheap grace. And that's a lie. The scary thing about it, though, is that a church will usually get smaller before it gets larger when you want to talk about the truth. You could go down the block right now and have somebody pump you up like Joel Osteen so you feel great when you go to work tomorrow. (laughs) It's my day. That boss answers to me because I'm a child of the king. (laughs) But couldn't recite a single scripture. Haven't prayed in weeks. Don't give a dime to the church. Don't be lied to. See, the voice of the enemy begins to discourage and say, "Don't, don't tell him the truth. Tell them some of the truth. Make them feel good and stick around. What I've realized is his goal is to keep us from going all in, keep us from signing our death certificate, keep us from making our funeral arrangements, and then keep us from focusing on eternity. We could get that in the world, though. We come here to hear the truth. In John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, these aren't the words of Vaughn, this is the words of Jesus. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He says, if you listen to my word, you will know the truth, whether you like it or not, whether it tastes like medicine or it tastes like chocolate, it doesn't matter because it will set you free. You'll be free indeed. If you listen to the lie or if we massage it or if we sugarcoat it, you don't really have freedom. Joseph says, here's some truth for you. We don't die, we multiply. (laughs) So Joseph says, oh, you threw me in the pit and you thought I was going to die? 
I'll become as numerous as the sand on the seashore. We don't die, we multiply. You thought you killed me, I was born again. Moses says the same thing, right? Moses says, uh, so you want to kill everybody. You think you're going to kill me too, right? (laughs) But it doesn't work that way. Hey, death, my doorpost is covered in the blood. You can keep on knocking, but you can't come in. (laughs) Keep on coming by to the Jared house. You can keep on knocking, but you cannot come in. We're covered by the blood. Not because somebody pumped me up and told me some things that I could regurgitate, but because I'm literally covered by the blood because I know what the word of God says and the spirit of God has confirmed that. I can picture Joseph and Moses talking in heaven. And Joseph's like, hey, Moses, what did they try to do to you, man? He's like, you know how that devil is. When I was born, they killed all the, all the, the male babies. But God protected me and he provided for me. Hey, Joseph, what they tried to do to you? Man, you know that enemy. Threw me in the pit, thought he was going to kill me. <laughs> I became the number two person in all of Egypt because God protected me. Crazy faith. We see the palms. We saw the kids running around in them. Raymond talked about Palm Sunday. We worshiped Hosanna, right? When you, when you hear those songs, do you think about the scriptures that are associated with them? We celebrate Palm Sunday and we call it the triumphal entry when it's anything but that, church. It was not a triumphal entry. It was a, it looked and sounded like a church. It looked and sounded like a triumphal entry, but it wasn't. It was Jesus making his funeral arrangements. He was coming into the city to give one last look at the plot that he had purchased for his funeral. This ain't a party. They got palms talking about Hosanna, Hosanna, right? On that Sunday before, where were they on Friday? Where were they when he was being crucified? He knew that. He says, nobody has to testify to me about what's in a man's heart. I already know what's in a man's heart and what's in a woman's heart. He said, I didn't commit to any of them because I knew they were not committed to me. I was coming to make my funeral arrangements. There's my plot. There's my heel. There's my cross. Everything's in order. Matthew 21, 5. This is how the story reads in our Bible. Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They laid their clothes on them, set them on them, and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before... And those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus. The best thing about when a person makes funeral arrangements is that they look at all the people who love them, and all the people that they're going to leave behind, and you know what they say? Don't worry, it's all been taken care of. Think about that for a second. 
Many of us are dealing with family members and friends who have passed. We start thinking about our parents who are going to pass. Parents start thinking about their children and like how much it's going to cost. And you know, Mary was just telling me about a young lady she met at the gym, and the the her cousin, I believe it was, had passed away, and he told his family he was young, just reached into his 30s, and had a had a disease that got the best of him. And they were literally sitting around the table. He said, "Just cru or not crucify me." He said, <laughs> "He said just uh, cremate me." He says, it doesn't matter. I know where I'm going. I don't want you guys to spend all that kind of money, right? They're literally making funeral arrangements. When we look back as parents and, and we want to get that stuff set, we don't want to pass away like we talked about and leave debt for the kids. They don't even have enough money to take care of themselves, and we want them to pay $10,000 to bury us. What an amazing thing if you make your own funeral arrangements and you look at those who, who you love but will be left behind and you say it's all been taken care of. That's what Jesus was doing. He says, listen, the amount that it's going to cost, you can't afford it. But don't worry, it's all been taken care of. <laughs> I've made my own funeral arrangements for you. This morning, what I want to do is I want to look at a story, and it's going to give us two angles to look at funeral arrangements from. <clears throat> it's out of the book of Acts. I'm going to start in chapter 6, verse 8. Uh, it says, Stephen... He was full of faith and power, and he did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freed men. These are Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia. They were disputing with Stephen, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders, the scribes, and they came upon him and seized Stephen. And they brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the custom which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, they saw his face as the face of an angel. So Stephen, the, the disciples... Uh, the Lord has been crucified. The disciples are there trying to figure out how to lead this new group of people called Christians or those of the way. And the normal drama of life crept into that new church body, just like it creeps into every other church body. The reason Stephen gets elevated is because some people in the church don't feel like they're getting enough bread. They're not getting fed enough. They're not getting enough attention. They're not getting enough love. They're not getting enough consideration. And the disciples are like, look, we got to focus on the word and prayer. But we love these people. Can anybody take care of the normal day-to-day -day drama and help us out a little bit? And they said, let's find some men who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And Stephen was one of them. So Stephen starts taking care of these things. God starts moving through Stephen's life. And it says that the big church says, we got to do something about these people. we got to do something about this guy, Stephen. And they bring him before them. They start lying on him. Because he's telling the truth. So here's Stephen. He's standing before the big church. Right? And it's time for Stephen to testify on his own behalf. He makes his own funeral arrangements here. <laughs> Many of us know when you tell the truth to people, they begin to say in their hearts, you're dead to me. How many of you, when you started telling the truth about your own life and how others are connected to that same truth, 
They're like, you're dead to me. When you say, look, I'm tired of killing myself and killing the people that I love and getting high with you and getting drunk with you and sleeping around, and I'm going to stop that, and you should stop that too, what do they say? You're dead to me. I don't want to hear that. Just because you want to change your life, you're dead to me. I don't want to hear that. I'm, I don't feel convicted like you feel convicted. Save that stuff for your church friends. In some cases, they don't just say you're dead to me. Christians are literally actually killed for what we believe. So let's look at the funeral arrangements of Stephen from this uh, first angle. And as I read this, here's kind of what I want you to picture. Stephen's standing before the whole big church, and they're about to interrogate him, and he's going he's gonna to testify on his own behalf, but he's going to tell the truth about himself, and he's going to tell the truth about them. Here's what I want you to picture as I read through this. Imagine today you leave church, you go home, and somebody shows up to your house, and you got all your friends, your family, your spouse, your kids in the house, and they say, hey, let's all sit down at the table and talk for a minute, and for a half an hour, they tell you the truth about you in front of everybody you know and everybody you love, and they don't hold back any detail. They know stuff that you didn't know that they knew. And just think about how that's going to make you feel as you're listening to this person talk. I'm not talking about lying on you. I'm talking about telling the truth on us. Somebody say amen if you understand. Amen. All right. So this is the scene with Stephen and the big church making his funeral arrangements. <laughs> this is Acts chapter 7, verse 1. So the high priest said to Stephen, are these things true, right, that they testify about you? And he said, brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I'll show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them for 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I'll judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision, and so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, they sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. That's verse 10. So far, so good. He told them the truth about their history. They're saying, do you speak the truth about who our people are? And he starts testifying. He says, this is who Abraham is. This is who Isaac is. This is who Joseph is. This is the wisdom that he had. And he's just throwing these little shots at him, though. He says, and you dwell in the land that he gave him. All right. Verse 11, a famine, he's still testifying. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his fathers, Jacob, and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money for the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. 
But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and they multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and he oppressed our fathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came to, into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffering wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, your brethren, why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed them away, saying, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when 40 more years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I'll send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years, this is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, and him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with his fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey, but they rejected. And in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. They said to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days. They offered sacrifices to the idol and they rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of, of the god Rephim, images you made to worship, and I'll carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed. He instructed Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received in turn, brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles. God drove out the enemies before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find dwelling for God, for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built God a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. 
Stop there for one second. Right up until that point, they were down with Stephen. He told them about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and the whole story and how we got delivered and everything that God did. And then he gets to this point where he says, the same thing your fathers did, you are doing too. People love to hear the word of God and the spirit of God and the worship of God until it gets personal. It was all good till you wanted to talk about my relationship, Pastor. It was all good until you wanted to actually talk about my tithing, Pastor. It was all good until you wanted to talk about my posting, Pastor. Because we agree with all the, the theoretical stuff about who God is and what he's done, but don't make it personal. I want to go to a church where I can hide and it's not personal. I can take what I want and leave everything else. And Stephen is telling them, that's not how it works with God. And this is right about the point where they pull out a sheet and he starts making his funeral arrangements. (laughs) You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets... Did your fathers not persecute? This is Stephen now telling them. Imagine somebody coming into your house and talking about your daddy and talking about your mama. Almost 90% of fights, the first fight we all get into is somebody said something about your mama. (laughs) Something about your daddy, right? And this is, listen to what he says. I love the Bible. It's thousands of years ago. Listen to what he says. (laughs) He says, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your daddies not persecute? (laughs) He says, they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. But we don't want to hear it straight. Stephen says, this is what your daddies did. This is how far they went with it. And everybody that came to tell them about Jesus, the just one who was going to come, they killed them. And now you are a betrayer of him too. Please don't feel like I'm pointing the finger at you. What I'm trying to get you to understand this morning is that I had to receive that same word and you got to receive that same word. It ain't some theoretical thing that others have done. God looks at me and he says, you betrayed my son. And if that's just a theory that we betrayed the son, that ain't enough to get saved. I'm sorry to tell you. Stephen ain't playing around with these folks. (laughs) The just one of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. (laughs) He says to them, Moses went up on a mountain. And angels talked to him, and he wrote it down on tablets. And the prophets, he wrote it all in books. You guys received it from angels, and you won't read it. It's like when you read this sometimes. I know you probably have heard people say it's old and it's outdated. This is fresh for March 25th, 
2018. He could be saying this to us today. You have received the scriptures by the direction of angels and you haven't kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, look, look. <laughs> they're angry, they're cut to the heart, they're gnashing at him with their teeth because he's sitting in their living room telling the truth about them. And instead of him going back at them, he sees God and he says, look. <laughs> he says, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen while he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. First, he signed his death certificate. And then when he began to testify, he made his funeral arrangements. And at the end, you can see that it wasn't because he hated them. He loved them. And he said, God, please don't charge him with this sin. Don't charge him with this. We're all guilty enough already. Don't add more to their account on account of me. He says, I love them. I'm only telling them the truth because I love them. But we hate the people that tell us the truth. And we gnash our teeth at them, and we lie on them, and we abandon them. Just like those that we saw in Hebrews that had gone before Stephen, he was focused on the life to come. Not once in there do you see him fighting for his own life or trying to escape so that he could live. He wasn't crippled by the fear of losing this life. This life is going to go, church. <laughs> I hope I live to 110 like Joseph, but I might not make it to 37. That's the truth. If I go today, if I go tomorrow, you know what I'm going to be most happy about? Number one, I'm going to heaven. Number two, I love my wife as everything I had. Number three, I led my children to the Lord. And number four, I preach the truth. That's at, that's at 37, that's at 36, 37, or 110, because this life doesn't matter that much. The things that we lose our mind over, they can't miss that. We can't go without this. Oh my God, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I wonder, let me get back on track, church. Let's look at the contrast real quick between this group who heard the truth and two weeks ago in the message, there was another group that heard the truth. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. This is from two weeks ago. It says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. So same thing in their living room, telling them the truth about themselves. This Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. 
When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But today, verse 52, he says, Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. Then they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Two groups of people. They hear the same truth. One group has a response and another group has a different response. This is kind of a theme scripture right now for our Bible study on Wednesday night and for our Sunday service. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2. Again, don't just picture these two groups. Picture your group in your living room. And the same thing is happening. Hebrews 4.2 says, The gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. See, the gospel is a double-edged sword, which means it's going to cut everybody. It cuts everybody. You whip that... You whip this thing out of the sheath, <laughs> everybody's getting cut. The good, the bad, and the ugly. You can't escape it. The difference is, when you get cut to the heart, what do you do? Do you make funeral arrangements, or do you plot murder? Do you make funeral arrangements, or do you plot murder? If you make funeral arrangements, you say, Men and brethren, what must I do? And then somebody will tell you, repent and be baptized. Amen. Repent and be baptized means sign your death certificate and make funeral arrangements. Otherwise, you gnash your teeth and you take that person either physically or at least uh, spiritually, you stone them to death, you begin to plot murder. That's what happened to Jesus. Two groups heard the same gospel. Some of them got saved and some of them slayed him. After the marriage event yesterday, we were uh, eating lunch, and uh, one of the guys was cracking jokes. He was saying, a lot of people's favorite meal is El Pastor, because <laughs> they just want to grill them up. Grill them up. Plot murder. It's not popular to tell the truth to people. It ain't popular. I always tell myself that I'm going to just stop talking to people, and I can't. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? From now on, I ain't going to say nothing. Go ahead and drive off that cliff if you want to. Next day, stop! <laughs> Don't do it! I can't help myself. You know why? Jeremiah said it's like a fire shut up in my bones. If I don't say something, it's going to kill me. Let's just make an agreement. If you're here, I love you, but I'm going to tell you the truth. The only way to keep that from happening is run in and run out and don't have any conversations with me. Because <laughs> I cannot help myself. And I have men in my life who do the same thing for me. 
Let's look at the funeral arrangements from angle number two. That's angle number one. This is Acts chapter eight, four verses, chapter nine, six verses, and chapter nine, two more verses. So just a few verses for our second angle on funeral arrangements. This is right after the story you heard about, about Stephen, right? Stephen gets stoned, take him out of the city, stone him, and it says that there's a bunch of people there. They start running up, taking off their shirts, taking off their stuff, and they run over to Saul, and they fold it up, and they lay it down at his feet, and they take up rocks, and they stone Stephen to death. We ain't talking about a passive like, oh, we don't like that guy. I hope something bad happens to him. No, let's all get in on this. Let's do it together. When church is over, let's talk to each other. Let's send messages. Let's hate. And then Saul is standing there. And he's just letting them lay their clothes down. Yeah, go handle that. Get them. Get them. Get them. Oh, there's a bigger rock right there. Put that one down. That one, that sharp one right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get them. This is exactly where we are in the story. If you understand, say amen. amen. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, and they made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and he asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, say the way, way. say the way. way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So Saul, trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise, go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Ananias went his way, he entered the house, and he laying hands on Saul, said to him, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose, and he was baptized. See, in the first angle, we see Stephen making his funeral arrangements. But here we see the arrangements that God is making at Stephen's funeral. Let's say that again. In the first angle, you see Stephen making his funeral arrangements because he's preaching the truth. In this angle, you see what God is arranging at Stephen's funeral. When Stephen was having his funeral, here's Saul. Watching. When he, when he looks at what's happening, he says, man, I, I think I want more of that. He goes to the church, says, church, there's more like that guy. I'll find them. Wherever they are, I'll find them and I'll bring them here. Bound. And he sets out and he thinks he's being a good believer. 
He's not in the world. Where did he go to get a letter to be able to do this? The church. He goes to the church. I'm going to be the best church member. I'm going to blast these people. I'm going to get the church right. And while he's doing all of this religious work, all of a sudden he's actually introduced to Jesus. There's a lot of people in a lot of churches that have never met Jesus. There's a lot of people doing a whole lot of religious work who have never met Jesus. And isn't it interesting that the story is the exact same story? He tells them, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. This ain't a group thing. You are persecuting me. And then he says, what do I need to do? He was cut to the heart. He didn't plot murder. He said, what do I need to do? And Jesus says, I'm going to send somebody to tell you what to do, but we don't want to be told anything. It's the same story over and over and over again. If you don't want to be told what to do, good luck. <laughs> good luck. There's no other way. He goes and then God sends somebody. That man comes and tells him what to do. And instead of rebelling, he accepts. And then what does he do? He signs his death certificate, gives his life to Jesus, and then he makes funeral arrangements. <laughs> and he says, I'm going to get baptized. This ain't no 10-year process. We're talking about, I've been blind for three days because I ran into Jesus when I thought I was a good church folk. I actually ran into Jesus. I haven't been able to see anything for three days. I got to wait to be able to see. I got to wait for him to tell me what to do. And now that he's told me what to do on day one, you have my whole life, Lord, and I'm ready to be baptized. Yes, amen. You see why what the Bible said is so drastically different than what we experience? Because we're going on customs and intuition and conscience. We're not going on the word of God. Stephen's death, God uses it to make arrangements for Saul to die and to have a rebirth of Paul. See, Stephen made funeral arrangements of his own, but God uses that to arrange the death of Saul and the birth of Paul. Imagine what the world would look like if Stephen was not willing to die. Imagine a world with no Paul. <laughs> we have Paul because Stephen made funeral arrangements. Imagine if Andrew wasn't willing to go get his brother. Imagine a world with no Peter. Peter came because of Andrew. What if Joseph wasn't willing to forgive his brothers and welcome them into Egypt? There's no children of Israel. What if Moses isn't willing to go back to Egypt and deliver those millions of people? There's no exodus. There's no parting of the Red Sea. There's no entering into the promised land. All these things happen because somebody made funeral arrangements for themselves. And God used that to arrange miraculous things to happen for others. Be honest with yourself this morning. Here I am sitting with you in your living room, and I want to ask you a question in front of your friends and your family. What does it really say about your faith if you won't make funeral arrangements? What kind of faith is it? Is it this faith? Because as far as I know, this is the only one. Amen. Bible says, 
Let God be true and all men be liars. If anybody else tells you that there's another kind of faith, they've lied to you. If you won't make funeral arrangements, what kind of faith do you have? And here's a better question. If you won't make funeral arrangements, what will not happen in the lives of others? What Pauls will never come into existence? What Exoduses will never happen? What Peters will never get saved? You know what, you know what Saul witnessed? He saw the peace that Stephen had when he was experiencing the worst that the world could do to him. Think about that. He's over there and people are laying down their, their clothes on his feet. And over here, Stephen is like, I see God. Rock, rock, rock. And he's at peace. I see him at the right hand. Rock. Do you see him? Look, look. Because Saul was able to see that peace, eventually Saul was able to find rest from all those religious works. I don't get angry at people for getting tired of laboring in the kingdom. I get angry because I realize that people don't understand that we've already have rest from religious works. Paul never went back. Think about that. He got these letters to go out and do all this stuff. And when he met Jesus, he was blind for three days. The word comes, he gets saved, he gets baptized. He doesn't go back and try to fix all that stuff. Just like Joseph didn't go back after he came out of the pit. Paul's like, hey, new life. <laughs> I'm not going back to those church folks to tell them what happened to me. I got a new king and I got marching orders. <laughs> we think it's love to go back. That's conscience, intuition, and custom. It's not biblical. That's how resting in peace really works and how it multiplies, church. God uses our death and our funeral to make arrangements for others to die and be born again. Most of us are here because we saw somebody die, and yet somehow they live again. <laughs> Think about it. I'm here because I saw somebody that I used to know die, and now they live again, but they're not the same person I used to know. And I'm like, how did that happen? Yeah. You're probably here because somebody you knew died and started telling you about this new life that they were living, or you were witnessing this new life that they were living. Because God uses their death and their funeral arrangements to arrange your salvation. The lives that we see each other living on the surface are very different, they're very unique, and they're special in that sense. Think about that. Your guys' life, your life, your guys' life, your life. They're all unique and they're all different and we all have these different aspirations and joys and things that we like and things that we don't like and our, our goals and our, our, just our passions. They're all very, very different on the surface. But underneath the surface, in the lives of all believers, we're strikingly similar. We've made funeral arrangements, and we're living for the next life. That's what I see when the Bible talks about being of one accord and one mind. Man, what's going on on the surface? Tell me about life and school and work and kids and finances. and Let's talk about all that stuff. It's great. Hey, but can we get a little bit deeper than the surface? 
how'd those funeral arrangements go? Oh, I was able to tell the family, don't worry, I got it taken care of. Hey, what do you think the next life is going to be like? Oh, I already told him, don't leave my bones here. There was a lot of things that I thought I was going to get in this life and a lot of places I thought I was going to go and a lot of things I thought I was going to see, but it's all right. Maybe my kids or my grandkids will see it. What I do know for sure is he who promised is faithful. So I'm taking my bones with me. Whenever he decides to raise us all, he, he won't have to worry about where I am. I'll be with the body. <laughs> so listen to what Paul says at the end and how different it is than how he used to talk when he was Saul. Last two scriptures for you guys. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Tell me that that ain't different than, hey, can I get a letter to go drag these people out of their house and bring them bound to serve in prison for the rest of their lives? That's not the same person who's been changed. That's a dead person who's gone and that's somebody who's been born again who now lives. We ain't trying to bring you in here for a makeover. I don't want to fix you up and I don't want to be fixed up. I'm trying to tell you the truth about death certificates and funeral arrangements so that you can be raised in newness of life. I don't want a better version of Saul. I want a new version of Paul. Isaiah, would you come? Last verse is how Jesus puts it. John chapter 12, verse 23. Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world would keep it for eternal life. Many of you are probably thinking right now, why didn't he just start with that? Could have saved an hour. <laughs> Jesus said in two verses what it took me to say in an hour. Jesus said, look, it's, the time is now. I got to be glorified. It was nice to be together. It was nice to walk and talk. Every word that I spoke to you is just like when Moses was receiving the word from angels. Every word I spoke to you is the word of God. But now I've got to go to the cross. It's time for me to be glorified. He says, listen, I got this grain of wheat. And if, if it doesn't die, it's still a grain of wheat. But if it falls in the ground, if I make funeral arrangements for it, right, I'm going to open up a little piece of ground. I'm going to drop that grain into it. I'm going to cover it up. And when it dies, it's going to produce much grain. He says, look, if you love your life in this world, you're going to lose it. If you're living for this life, you are going to lose it because everybody does. When he says, if you hate your life, he's not talking about don't do anything, don't have any joy, cut yourself. He's not talking about that kind of hate. What he's saying is, compared to the life that I have ahead of me, I hate this one. If you've fallen in love 
with a man or with a woman, you say, compared to everything I ever had before, it's like I hate those people compared to the love I have now. Jesus is saying that's how it is with your life. If you love this one, you must not understand the one that I have for you. Once you taste of that, once you've seen it, like Joseph saw it, you'll say, I don't even care that I'm dying. Just take my bones because I know I'm going to be raised over there into that love and into that life. If you're here this morning and <laughs> you can't honestly say that you are in love with the life to come, it's probably because you haven't had that light shining Jesus speaking to you like he spoke to Saul saying, Saul, Saul, you got it all wrong. It's not about what you can earn. It's not about the letters you can get from the church. It's not about how many days you showed up or how many dollars you gave. It's not about you finding all of the subpar believers in your opinion and bringing them before the council and bringing them before the church and cleansing the church. He says, it's not about any of that. You got to know me. Paul didn't even know him by name. Saul, excuse me, didn't know him by name. He said, Lord, who are you? I know, pastor. I know the worshipers. I know the, the, the people in the pews, but who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus. <laughs> and then everything changed from there. He didn't know anything. All he asked was one simple question. What do you want me to do? If you're here this morning and you don't know him, you know the truth. We're all in the same living room and we're all hearing the same truth. Some will mix it with faith and they will plan their funeral and be raised in newness of life. Some will not and they'll gnash their teeth and they'll plot murder. Don't be afraid. I want you to plan a funeral this morning. But I promise you, you'll be raised in newness of life. You won't have to take my word for it. In this book, he says, everybody that puts their faith in me, I will send my Holy Spirit to live inside of them and they will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I'm real. And that the commitment that they made was no hoax, it was no smoke and mirrors, it was no dimming of the lights and raising of these ones and the soft music. It's the truth. It's the whole truth, and it's nothing but the truth. But you gotta make a decision. You gotta be able to say, I don't know, but I'm willing to ask, what do I need to do? And I will tell you. I promise you, me. I will tell you what you need to do, and I, I promise you, if you'll do it, God will confirm, he'll send his spirit. Are there any here this morning that that's you? You never really met him? You know about him. You've been in the city. You've been in the vicinity. There was a lot of people when he was there. They saw him. They talked to him. They even ate fish with him. But they never really met him, just like Saul. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand? I promise you, I can tell you how to meet him. I wouldn't lie to you. I wouldn't give my life to it. I wouldn't have signed my own death certificate and made funeral arrangements if it wasn't true. All of the disciples... They were willing to die, be murdered, because they knew it was true. Is there anybody this morning that would say, I want to be told, I want to know for sure, I'm not saved, but I want to be saved, before we move, anybody? Hallelujah, Lord. It's true, anybody? Thank you, Jesus. The great thing 
it's sad, but it's great at the same time. In, in church, in, in relationship with Christ, it's great joy and, gay, and great sorrow. On the great joy side, I have peace saying I told the truth. On the great sorrow side, it's now your responsibility if you go to hell. <laughs> That's tough in my position. But it gives me great joy to know I can say, Lord, I told the truth. Paul said at the end, I fought the good fight, I finished the race. Now is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Before we pray for everybody else here, is there anybody that would say, today's my day. I want to be saved and I know I'm not. Amen, amen, amen. The rest of us. I want to pray for those who need to make funeral arrangements. You've spent more time making arrangements on how to live in this world instead of making arrangements on how to go into the next one. If that's you, you're already a Christian, you're already a believer, but all you are is a grain, uh, a grain of wheat. And if you don't die, there will not be a multitude of wheat. It'll just be you and your salvation. You may lose your kids, you may lose your spouse, you may lose your friends, you may lose generations, but you'll go to heaven and thank God for that because you're a grain of wheat. But if you want to make funeral arrangements and listen to what Jesus said, Jesus said, if you die, you'll produce a whole lot of wheat. If you love this life, you're going to lose it. But if you start living in this life for the next one, you'll be like Moses, you'll be like Joseph, you'll be like Paul. If that's you, and you can be honest this morning, if that's you, would you come so I can pray with you this morning? Hallelujah, Lord. listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.